0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org
1: and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. G Perico is from Los Angeles and he's a gangster rapper. That puts him firmly in a tradition that stretches from Ice-T and the D.O.C. in the 80s through Ice Cube and Snoop Dogg in the 90s and on to hitmakers like The Game and YG in the 21st century. Listen to a Jeep track, and it's hard not to hear the echoes of 30-some years of records about cruising, barbecuing, and throwing up gang signs on the streets of L.A.
2: You can't help me if you can't help yourself. I'm at the penthouse plotting on my next 10 steps. One
1: hundred million. Freeko is a master stylist. His nasal voice cuts up heavy beats. His lyrics are by turn playful and brutal, sometimes both in one song. I'm all alone talking to G.O.D., he raps on one lonely track. And if he want to do business, then it's C.O.D., Perico is a trickster with a gun in his waistband and the weight of the world on his shoulders. He was born Jeremy Nash, grew up in South Central L.A. His life was hard. He grew up in the kind of neighborhood where, broadly speaking, you either had friends who rolled with gangs or you didn't have friends. He's been arrested, been to the youth authority, to jail and to prison. He's been shot at and been shot. He raps about the L.A. he grew up in cookouts and car shows, and always some danger around the corner. Jeep Rico broke through in 2016 with his record Don't Stop. That album established him at the vanguard of L.A. street rap. In the years since, he has recorded nearly a dozen albums, including his most recent project, Hotshot Gangster Grills. He released it with DJ Drama earlier this year. When we spoke in 2021, Jeep Rico had just dropped his record Play to Win, one of four albums he released that year. Here's a single from it called Spaz.
2: Out. the homie put his gap, then he blacked out clipped out jumped in his beans then he smashed out crash out them C A X M car tags out She always talking about these millions oh what's that about cash flow if you ain't got it you go flat bro you blew all the money what the fuck you do that for Mastros want the butter cake and the waggle
1: Grico welcome to Bullseye it's great to have you on the show hey thanks for having me man i think this you're is great. you're the first one rapping about butter cakes on wax Putting down the butter cakes versus, <laughs> I believe, yeah, I think so. I've never heard that. The butter cake is amazing. You like butter cake? Uh, you know what? Like an okay butter cake is fine, but a good butter cake, you're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever eaten in my yes, life. Yes, definitely. That's so true. That is so. I made a butter cake out of a Cook's Illustrated recipe book or a Cook's Country recipe book, like How a it s- come out. Southern favorites. It was hella good. Okay. What's it's hella good, G. That's what's up. (laughs) It's a good cake. I I love butter cake, man. (laughs) And I'm
0: not big on sweets, so anybody that know me know, like, if I'm talking about sweets, I love it. Okay,
1: so tell me about, you're from Los Angeles, where we're sitting right now. Yes. Tell me where in Los Angeles you're from.
0: Like, South Central, the east side of South Central. So, basically,
1: on the other side of the 110, east of the 110. That's a very Los Angeles thing, to specify where you live relative to the different freeways. <laughs> <laughs> the freeway is pretty much, I think the 110 freeway pretty much divides
0: South Central because it runs, that's like the South Central freeway, basically. And it divides, not from a technical standpoint, but just from, you know, just how everybody look at things. It divides the east side and the west side. Now, if you want to get technical, one more block separates the actual city, but, you know, we we'll use the 110 as reference.
1: What were the distinguishing things about the neighborhood that you grew up in. What was different about your neighborhood than two over or two up or um, whatever?
0: Honestly, I mean, the only thing different would be the individuals because, uh, you know, Los Angeles, uh, the culture is the culture. It covers the whole, what well, an inner city of Los Angeles, you know, South Central, Compton, Watts, all of that. The culture is similar for blocks and blocks and blocks. The only difference is the the individuals.
1: You know what I mean? Who did you grow up with in your family?
0: I actually grew up, I'm a granny's kid. You know, 80s baby. I was born in 88. So a lot of us grew up under grandma. I think to this day, like a lot of like black kids grow up with that grandmother. And, um, you know, my mom's was around a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm not even going to say a little bit. My mom's was around. She was just being hurt you know what I mean and then my pops was in and out of jail so I had a stepdad you know what I mean I'm a stepchild I'm like I honestly feel like the um Cinderella story you know what I mean because I was like when you look back at it when I was going through it it wasn't bad but when I look at it I'm like damn they used to really treat me like <laughs> what do you mean when you say that like, my step-pops used to talk to me crazy, man. Like, he was just... I, I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt in every situation. You know what I'm saying? So, because I used to be, like, so zoomed in. And if I'd have stayed that way, I'd just be angry at everybody. I wouldn't be getting nothing done with my life. So, uh, zoom out a little bit and just look at the situation from a whole. All right, he's a cat, What made him a head? You know what I'm saying? Even though he's grown and he should know better, but it's like... I prefer to just give people the benefit of the doubt so I won't be running around angry trying to kill everybody. You know what I'm
1: saying? What was your grandmother's name?
0: Uh, Bonnie. Bonnie Gwendolyn Stanley. What was she like? 32848. The sweetest, greatest person to walk the earth. She was awesome. Like, you know what I mean? She loved me to death. That was like the only person that I know that, uh, that for sure loved me to death no matter what. And had my back for sure, without a doubt. You know what I'm saying? Never gave me any reason to question her. You know what I mean? And um, a lot of stuff she instilled in me, like, it went away for a while. While, you know, the street life, you know, you turn into a different person. But um, I'm happy she did because now it's coming back. You know how they say, coming full circle. You know what I mean? Just a lot of love she gave me is um, starting to pour back out of my heart. You know what I'm saying? And, um, I think if I wouldn't have had her, I'd be f- terrible. Like how I just said, I zoom out and I just look for the good and the it. Or even if it's bad, we see why. Or even in situations I'm involved in that don't go right. I don't go straight to pointing fingers. You know what I'm saying? I just, well, maybe let me see what I did wrong. Even if it was the other person, like you f- up all the way. All right. Let me just assume responsibility for that because I accepted you in this situation anyway. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, she gave me a lot of that.
1: I know that you went to school at least partly outside the neighborhood, right?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. For, uh, like, I would say more than partly about 70% of my schooling was outside of, outside of my hood. Was that different than other kids you knew? Yeah, that was, a. it was honestly a blessing. I hated it at first. I cried and everything, like, no, please. But it was like the best thing that they could have did for me. How old were
1: you when you started?
0: I think it was like third grade or something like that. Third or fourth grade. I came home and my granny and them like, uh, yeah, you're not going to school around here no more. You going to I'm like, nah, please, my friends. Ooh. And um, like ultimately, like that was the that was the best thing because uh like it just taught me how to deal with With other races, other uh, cultures, how to communicate with people, you know, and how to just step outside of the box. A lot of my friends that that didn't get that opportunity, they still haven't left. They don't leave that 10, 20 block radius. That's my hood. They don't leave that at all unless they're going to jail or going out to do something. And then if you run into them at one of my shows or, you know, like that or anywhere they gonna look out of place. Like, man, what you doing outside of the block? So I think that was like the man, I thank my granny and my mom for that. You know what I mean? Where were you going when you were in third grade? I was going to uh West Side Leadership. I think it's called West Side Alternative now. It's like a block. It was sand on the playground at the school. So it's literally like one block away from the beach. You know what I mean? All the way up Washington and Pacific. So it's like I think that would be considered like Playa del Rey, Marina del Rey, that beach. And then maybe about a half a mile or not even a half a mile was Venice Beach. So uh, I went there and then we dropped off. So the school bus would pick me up. We would drop off kids at Venice High School, Mark Twain, and another school. I forgot the name of it. But it was like four schools on my school bus that was coming from that
1: area. I mean, that's a completely different world. I mean that's like a very different world from where I live. You know what I mean? Like I'm out on the I'm out on the west side by the beach four times a year. Yeah. <laughs> you <know what> I <laughs> yeah, <mean>? yeah. 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 <laughs> like going out there every day it, it's a it's a big difference. Was it kids from all over yeah. LA or Yeah.
0: It was kids from all over and um and the crazy part like I bump into a lot of people that went to school there. And they doing like Spank from Trap Kitchen. You ever heard of Trap Kitchen? They got like a gang of food trucks. They real important out here to the food culture. You know what I mean? And he went to school with me. And we was both bad as hell, but he's doing great stuff in life. I'm doing great stuff in life. And I'm not going to say it was solely based on it at school, but I know that experience taught us both how to, you know, think outside the box and
1: say, you know, F it. We going to go for what we know. You know what I mean? I grew up in the city and went to school in the suburbs for middle school and had a great experience generally with with my peers, even though they were in pretty different social circumstances than me. Yeah. But one of the things I remember most vividly is when my friends from school would come to visit me and, you know, like I I had a perfectly nice apartment and everything, you know, I wasn't going hungry. Right. But one of my most vivid memories is a friend who came to visit me and we were walking to the ice cream place and we're like 12. And he turned to me and he said, Jesse, is this a bad neighborhood? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, what, what's crazy is the thought that I had in my head was like no no that's like three blocks that way can you not tell right. the difference
0: right <laughs>
1: like no this is a this is a safe one and then that one is a little dicey you got to really hold your head up on that one <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> did anybody ever come home with you like after school yeah
0: i did have a lot of friends from um from school that used to come man it was this white dude actually he got the same name as me his name was jeremy and um i used to go to his house and another i had another friend named mark that stayed on lincoln so we used to go to his house they used to come to my house but it was like they never stayed like they mama come hang out a little bit talk to my uh granny you know what i mean and um we would just play video games and stuff like that but uh we never we never spoke on that i guess cuz they already knew what it was like man it looked crazy around here you know what i mean even though to me, it wasn't bad, you know? But, um, you know, the difference was obvious. From when I go to their house, they live by the beach, you know what I mean? Um, and we would do different events. Like, we used to go—I uh, was in the sports, so we used to play basketball. We used to run 5K uh, races, you know what I mean? I used to cheat all the time.
1: <laughs> Cheating on a 5K. Yeah, I, I used to cheat. <laughs> Cut across. You're like, yeah, I won the turkey trot again, baby.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then I had friends that was in the same situation as me. Like one of my friends, uh, Sammy, we call him K-Swiss. He's Ethiopian and he lived in the jungles. And the jungles is like a notorious area for gangs and crime and all of that. And, um, man, he used to just walk through there like he owned the jungles. You know what I mean? And he ended up joining a gang like me he actually in jail right now. He on the way home, but, um, but he's super smart, man. That's the thing. Like a lot of people that, that get into these gangs, like, like not everybody is just like can't read and is not smart. Like it's a lot of highly intelligent individuals, but just the path and their direction is, is pointed the wrong way. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of people that could be running fortune 500 companies and and just doing great stuff in the world but you know the influence is not there you know what i mean but uh yeah i think a lot of people from that area not to get off subject but a lot of people from that school were just like just highly gifted you know what i mean a lot of people were doing great stuff a lot of people you know how it go you know what I mean?
1: how old were you when you got involved in the system
0: so I, I went to jail the first time my mom came to pick me up i was 13, resisting arrest. And that was like the hook, which hooked me in. And I was basically hooked all the way in until a couple years, like two, three years ago. So from 13 to 30, just on a hook.
1: What happened when you got arrested when you were 13?
0: So I was leaving school. I just got into a, did I get into a fight? I think I got into a fight or something. It was something super dramatic while we left. We leave. One of my homies got a gun on him, and I know he got a gun on him. So we get st- the school police try to stop us. So I do a, you know, just from hearing my older homies and watching movies and, sh- I do a uh, basically a smoke screen. I throw a fit, try to take off running, thinking that he to get loose and get away. He just stood there. So. I mean, I, I got a whole case for nothing, like, if he was just going to stand there. So I was basically trying to um help him get away, and um I guess he didn't catch on, and he went to jail also. My mom came and picked me up, but I ended up being on probation for that, and that was just the beginning of,
1: you know. Did you go to, you know, Juvie, the youth authority, or did you go yeah, to jail? Yeah, I did
0: everything. You know? I've been everywhere, yeah. So from, from the juvenile all the way to the penitentiary, all of it is crazy. And it, people will never know. What
1: would you tell your grandma when you were 13? And what would she tell you?
0: So initially, you know, I could do no wrong in my granny's eyes. So initially, I was playing on that. You know what I mean? Like, I ain't, I'm i not doing nothing, granny. Lying. I don't know if she believed it, but she wanted to. Like I'm her baby, you know what I'm saying? And um, when I end up in camp, I end up in camp like a year later and just came clean. I got the gang tatted on me, Granny. I've been out here doing this and that at a visit. Like I don't know. Like my everything was just weighing on me. And while I'm in camp, and I'm like, when they come, I'm gonna just tell her. She like, oh my god, have you killed anybody? Ooh, I'm like, no, I, I ain't killed no, I ain't hurt nobody. But uh. Yeah, I came clean, and, um, you know, that was probably, like, the best thing that I did because she was stressed about it, but it took, like, a lot of pressure. Like, okay, he kind of, like, asking for this, and he know how to handle himself. You know what I mean? I didn't want her worried about me. So I just, I just came clean. And then, plus, like, when you're doing stuff like that, you do want to be in tune with the people that love you, and you know that they're going to come get you and do anything for you. Like, the best thing to do is to be honest, you know what I mean? So they'll understand what's going on and how to approach the situation and how to deal with it, you know what I mean?
1: You were talking about zooming in and zooming out. Was there a point when you were a teenager, you know, you'd already been in and out a little bit, when you kind of lost the thread of caring about the consequences? Oh, definitely.
0: That whole entire time, I didn't didn't care about anything, like— My influences around that time when I was growing up, my influences from 13, like, my direct influences. Before that, I had been seeing the older homies and watching them from afar. And they had kids my age, and I'd be playing with them. But, like, around 13, like, bro, all my influences were, like, serious, hardcore criminals, killers. People that, back then, like, you'll go, you'll kill somebody and get seven years for it. So... Around this time, 01, 02, around off up in there, like a lot of my homies from the 90s was just getting out for murders. They was just getting out of youth authority from doing seven years for murders. So these is my influences. You know what I mean? People basically telling me, like, you know, if you're not active, then, you know, you out. And who want to be out? You know what I mean? So if you're not doing all of this criminal shit, so I just became fully engulfed in the criminal lifestyle and the criminal aspect of not caring about anything. Like, that version of me, I I would be scared of him. like, And I looked like a innocent, little, small, cute kid, but just pure trouble, you know what I mean? And I was smart and understood everything, but, you know, the influence just led me and, and just wanting to be a part of something. Just led me to not caring about anything. Like to kind of like going to jail and and, and being a rider is what we call it. Was like the the goal. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean it's funny that you mentioned that you're like you're not a huge dude. No, yeah. um, I'm sure you were skinnier when you were a teenager there's this DJ Quick lyric that that goes, I ain't no big buff dude, I'm a rap, rap singer. singer. <laughs> Exercise one muscle. Look, you hear my strap finger, you hear that click. Oh,
0: I got arthritis in that
1: thing. <laughs> but I mean, that is like, sometimes when you're a littler dude, like you have the choice to either try and hide or just be a little more wild. Right, and that was my option. My option was to
0: be the most wildest, cuz i i i was never big but i mean you know going in and out of jail i i was kind of like muscular but still skinny strong and muscular but still skinny and small short and um you know for people to take me serious i and and then i was like a handsome pretty boy dude you know what i mean so i had to wild out and
1: and just do a lot
0: of irrational things
1: Much more still to get into with G Perico. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Right now, we're listening back to my 2021 interview with G Perico. He is a rapper born and raised in South Los Angeles. He's worked with Freddie Gibbs, Kamasi Washington, and E-40. He has a new album out. It's called Hotshot. Gangsta Grills. Let's get back to my interview with him. I want to play a song from L.A. Summers, which is one of the EPs that you put out this year. Yeah. It's called Today. Today.
2: Yeah, I've been grinding. He was a little kid. I was outside sliding. Jumping out of Honda. Civics with pistols. Had a .22, but I treated it like a missile. Pray for all the troops that's missing this rap game I ain't fair to be decent I'm paranoid so I got the click on pal just just saying I'm cute but I don't never smile I'm always in my rear view when I'm in the street can't let him get enough get to drop on me I got property I speak properly remember the last
1: time you have a you have a verse I think it's on that song where you I say that you still have hate in your heart for uh she the dudes from, from the other, other side, side. Yeah. and then you say that you're you are your i think it's your childhood still got you traumatized yeah and i found that verse very moving yeah because it's a song you know like it it the verses take the form of like a you know a gangster rap record you know it's about how ready you are but it's also kind of a memory song maybe it's the yeah. beat and it's about not being able to let go of looking over your shoulder of course which is like the simplest (laughs) description of PTSD, right? Like, it's like when you're traumatized, your body lives the trauma, whether or not you're in the trauma or not at that moment. Definitely. You know, you're in your 30s now. Is that something that you still feel?
0: Definitely, man. It's um, just because this situation and what's been going on is nothing new. So when I was a little kid, it was homies my age already that already been through the, the ringer and some of them was doing, like, great in life and still got killed. You know what I mean? So me knowing that and understanding that, like, it's it's never safe, you know? And past experiences, like, when you see people get killed or you've been shot or next to somebody that's been shot up, like, it's... All of it is, like, for really no reason. Like, when you think about it, it's like we could have just had a conversation or... If we couldn't have came to a conclusion, we could have just stayed away from each other. You know what I mean? But it got out of hand. So and that's the war time, you know what I mean? And and just to, just seeing that and being a part of that is definitely in the back of my head. Like, man, this at any given time, it's even when I'm in traffic, like I can't when I'm driving. I'm so paranoid when I drive and shot in the car before. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, PTSD at at his best. You know what I mean,
1: I had a conversation with my my first therapist, like maybe nine months into being in therapy, and I was talking about how walking down the street, and I've I've never I've been places where somebody got shot, but behind me, a couple hundred feet behind me, yeah. I didn't look at it. You know, I've never been shot at myself, and I was telling the therapist like when I'm walking down the street with somebody, and I see them not paying attention, I realized that I thought they were foolish or weak. And and my therapist said to me, he's one of those therapists that almost always only asks questions, but he said to me, do you think that might be more of an issue for you? And I was like, oh, yes, maybe it just means that these other people who I think of as being weak actually just never experienced that horrible trauma. So Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> of having somebody run up on them from behind or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, like, oh, maybe it's good. Maybe it's not weakness. Maybe it's happiness or comfort. <laughs> right. <laughs> there was a point. When you were in your late teens, that you went to jail for, uh, I think it was fifteen months, and it was uh it was a, I think a gun charge, right? Yeah. And it was just possession because you had been in the system before. You were like in an apartment with a, that had a gun in it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was that time that you went to jail? Ended oh, up being man. fifteen months. I was only supposed to do four months, <laughs> but I was,
0: I was just cutting up like. You got to make a name. It's like, when it's juvenile, nothing makes any sense. It's all out of, the only thing that makes sense is chaos. The only thing that gets respect is chaos. The only thing that that people be like, hey, yeah, you know, uh, whoopty whoop? Yeah, man, he hard, he a rider, whoop whoop. It's being dumb. So that was just me being just dumb and ignorant, like just acting out, fighting, not listening, just trying to act tough and show out and you know, trying to get people to pay attention to me, crying out for attention and trying to make a reputation, basically. And yet, I, that was one of my experiences, man. I was terrible, man. But uh,
1: you know, that's what makes the story. At what point then did things feel like they could be something different? At what point did you manage to pull some perspective?
0: I think I always had common sense, but it was just uh, nothing to look towards. You know what I mean? And then um, my homies had a studio, and, um, you know, I've always been great in English, like reading excellent. I be the one kid that raises his hand to read every time, and I'm just having fun reading. You know what I mean? That was me, and uh, writing stories and poems and everything, so you know, I always excelled in, um, just painting pictures and, and art also. And, uh, my uncle had a studio when I was little, so I grew up around it. So, and the crazy thing, I didn't follow his lead. Like I followed the ignorant, crazy, the homies lead. And, um, you know, my homies had a studio and it was a few people that I admired from the area that was rapping and they was gangsters too. You know what I mean? And, um, I was like, damn, I want to I want to do that. But I never took it serious. And then the opportunity came where, like, everybody either gave up, quit, went to jail, or start doing other stuff. Like, you know how to, when you're chasing a dream or a goal, and then you get to that point where reality set in, it's like, all right, do you really want to go through the hardship and the struggle of this? Or do you want to just take the easy route? And, you know, for a lot of street dudes, it's like, Bro, I'm not sacrificing nothing. like, And not realizing that you really are sacrificing something when you don't go after the dream because you're doing street stuff. You're going to go to jail. You're going to waste years. And, you know, my homies that didn't sacrifice, it's 10 years later now. And they looking like they s- trying to start over now. But It um, harder, gets harder and harder to catch right, up, I think. So at one point, everybody had went away from the studio. And it was just... Initially, I was just a kid that was, nah, you can't come in here. You be tripping. You doing this and that. So now, was nobody there. I'm in there rapping and rehearsing. And, um, like, I knew it was something that I wanted to do. And that was kind of like the light on the tunnel for me. But I was still, you know, cutting up. But, like, yeah, when all my homies that was rapping went away, either quit, got jobs, decided that they don't want to deal with the struggle of it. And gave up, didn't have a vision. Um, that's when I stepped in, and um, and I start seeing things different. And then also it was it was a just like multiple things because you know people was getting killed, like my friends getting killed, my friends getting life. Also like drugs, people losing their mind from drugs, or people getting strung out. You know, basically we was just. Everything start happening early, like early 20s. Like people was turning into their parents because you know, we come from the crack era. Like, I was watching my homies turn into dope fiends, like, or getting stuck forever, or like, man, I'm not doing this no more. I'm cool. We used to call them suckers, but that was actually smart. Like, bro, I'm cool on a life. You know what I mean? That was like, now when I look back in hindsight, man, it was the strongest people because they decided in their mind, like, I don't care what y'all think, I'm about to live my life. So just a lot of that was going on. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, the studio, the studio was calling me, but I just couldn't shake the criminal element. Were you already writing verses? Were you writing verses when you were a teenager? Yes. Like, I always, man, I got notebooks from, the 90s man where I was writing poetry and whatever was on my mind like it sounds crazy now but like I always been into that like that was like kind of like my escape from everything like I'll be writing stories about stuff that didn't have nothing to do with nothing just you know I but I never I never had the the confidence or the courage to tell any of my peers about this like it's just like the tough bravado what we doing you know what I mean and um when I finally did record something, man, everybody went crazy. And um the same place that I was trying to prove something to and get accepted to, they uh embraced it. You know what I mean? And just gave me the confidence. So like I think my hood kinda like did like a few things for me. Like, it it sent me on a spiral, crazy path. And then also Gave me the confidence to do what I'm doing now, you know what I mean? To say, F it, let me go and do what I do. Have
1: you written anything today? Not yet, not yet, not yet. Are you going to write about, like, looking out of our office window at, that, at the lake like, in the fish truck? Definitely. It's crazy
0: you say that. So what I learned how to do over the years is because I'm a real visual artist. So what I learned how to do is uh my experiences from the day. I'll write a few of them down, and it'll either turn into a story or it'll turn into a rap song. You know what I mean? So, yeah, the fish truck, hearing about that, looking out at the lake, MacArthur Park, just all the dope toys that y'all got, the bathroom, the pictures in the bathroom, the Wu-Tang lotion, like, all of that, you know what I'm saying? Is like, just helped me create, you know what I mean? And I just mix it with, you know, the lifestyle that I've once lived and that I live now. You know what I mean? It's a big
1: gumbo pot. We do have some Wu-Tang themed hand
0: moisturizer in the bathroom. And I was taking, that's what took me so long. I'm popping it, I had to just unscrew it and get some up out of
1: there. <laughs> Cream rules everything around me, <laughs> I think is the theme of that. <laughs> yeah. When did you lose your grandmother? August
0: 2010.
1: So you were about 20 or so? I was
0: 22, 21. 21 or 22. So that's right around that that same time that you were trying to figure out
1: whether you could be an artist.
0: Right, right. So that was, uh, you know, I've been doing stuff previously, but my confidence wasn't all, all the way there. Around that time, I would never rap in front of anybody or even say that I rap, but I got all these notebooks full of raps.
1: Did your grandma know about that stuff?
0: Yeah, so my grandmother... So the the crazy part is, uh, she had a friend named Vic, and I don't know the dynamic sort the, of what their relationship was exact. I don't know if they was dating, friends, or I don't know. But um, he had a studio in Compton, and um, she wanted to keep me out of trouble, and she knew that I'd be writing. Like she know she know me. Like I didn't even have to tell her, and um, she wanted to keep me out of trouble, so. I basically made a promise to her to instead of being in the hood all day after school or whatever I was doing to go, um, go mess with him like two days out the week. So I was in a group called the wild bunch back in the day. Nothing never came out, but they basically, he basically taught me how to record and how to project my voice and, how to, get, how to ride the beat and everything, you know what I mean? He was like, man, your vocals need to sound like this and this and that. So, you know, I got a lot of my um, basic structure from something that my granny set up. But again, I, I still wasn't confident in that for some reason because it's like all my homeboys like, man, F-rap, we doing this. Like we in the streets, we getting money, we hustling, we, you know what I mean, just doing all the ignorant stuff, so. Yeah, after she died, I'm like, I was so mad that I wasn't on it then just so she could have something like she know I was smart and have like, but just at least have something to be proud of me about. Like You know what I'm saying? So I think between that and my daughter being born and then just like my whole life just when she died, like or while she was sick, my whole life was just shifting into a place that I didn't know where it was going. You know what I mean? I just accepted everything and said, whoever whoever don't like it, oh, well. Whoever like it, that's who I'm going to focus on. You know what I mean? So that's been
1: my motto. Do you remember what the first verse was that you put down with the intention of, like, this is going to be a record? I'm going to try and sell this nah, to somebody? I
0: wish I I, wish I remember. I'll be seeing a lot of people that remember their first rap and everything. I don't, bro. Like I remember the song, though. I played it. I remember I said something... Um. Some to the effect of me saying the story when I joined the gang and around the time and what the summertime was like. So it was like a real vivid thing. Let me take you back. When everything changed, it was something to that effect. And um like my homeboys went crazy. And and it, to me it wasn't even that dope. Like my homeboy Snook, like one of my best friends. Him and his brother was him, his brother and then my boy Duran. His brother is is uh no longer with us pool, but them was like my main guys, man. When I played the CD for him, he took it and just ran out the spot and just went all through the hood, making everybody listen to it. So that was basically like the birth of um, me um, stepping outside of my shell. It was so uncomfortable. And then now that's what made me learn how to embrace the uncomfortable moments because that's when, like, something change and something great is going to happen. So, like, when things get uncomfortable, I learn to love that part of the process. Like, when everything is going fine and perfect, I'm like, oh. But then when it gets uncomfortable and tough and I'm not sure about it, not that I'm not sure about it, but I just don't. I don't know what's going to happen next. I know something good is about to happen. I love that part of every process. So that's why I try to, um, you know, keep doing something new. You know what I mean? Just to stay uncomfortable because that's when I know I'm growing.
1: We're taking a break. We'll be back in just a second. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.
0: And here's what some of the listeners
1: have to say.
0: It's funny, wholesome, and it never fails to make me smile. I
1: just started listening and I'm already binging it. I haven't laughed this hard in ages. I wish i discovered it sooner. You can find Dr. Game Show on MaximumFun.org. I'm Jesse Thorne. Right now, we're listening back to an interview I did with rapper G. Perico in 2021. He's got a new album out. It's called Hot Shot. Gangster grills. I want to ask you a silly question if I can. So you're sitting in front of me and you, you've got a baseball cap on and underneath it looks like you have some braids there. Yes, sir. Um, but you have demonstrated some pretty serious hairstyles over yes. the years. Yes, yes. I love hair, man. <laughs> Not least of which is particularly glistening loose curl Yeah, that you wore for quite a while. Yeah, Like a shoulder length-ish. Loose curl, yeah. That was that's my
0: uh, that's my mo, man. Like, so I had a homeboy named Little Roach, Killer Roach. Like, he was old enough to be my dad. Like, his son is my age. I think his son is a year older than me. But he was like always youthful, young. People think I'm related to him too. Like, we look alike. But like, man, I admired this dude so much, man. He had like all the cars girls he was small like me but he was like stocky when he take his shirt off he had jokes i never seen anybody disrespect him like he was just like an awesome person and um he had a curl he used to wear the curl sometimes and um i used to pattern myself after him my whole entire everything from the hood like after him so like i always wanted to you know have a curl like that and um He died, and then I said, F it. I'm about to just grow A lot of people say Eazy-E, DJ Quick, but, like, they were, like, pop icons and rap icons, but that's not who I saw personally and inspired me on a day-to-day. Like, it was people like my homie Lil Roach. My homie Lil Bony Rock had a curl. My homeboy Sinbad used to have the hair rollers. That's why I do that. Like, these was my influences. These was, like, my father figures, like, people that I wanted to be like. So I just felt like I was just carrying on something and representing them, and they loved it. You know what I mean? At some point, no matter what, you know how, like, you get older, but you still want to impress your parents? You know what I'm saying? That's what a lot of stuff that I do is because, you know, my older homies was, like, really like my parents growing up. You know what I mean? For good and ill, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for real. Well, one time I asked Quick about his hair. And he was talking about one time he toured with Drew Down, the rapper from the Bay Area. and um, Drew Down, dope artist. Great, great. I just found out that his dad is Bootsy, Bootsy Collins. Bootsy Collins, yeah. I just found that out this week. Anyway, he told me he toured with Drew Down one time, and he said there was just women jumping on stage to touch his hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get
0: that too. Especially when I got my curl. Oh, my God, bro. Like, city that, like, never fails. Like, I don't even got to be... I could have the dustiest outfit. If I got my face shaved and my curl down, man, they passing out. Like, can I please, can I touch it? So many different artists and R&B people and just... I remember I was in a... Um, was I at a um holiday party? But I caught Beyonce pointing at me and laughing like giggling, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, okay. But everybody, like, loves it, you know what I mean? Like,
1: especially the females. There's a line on one of the songs from your record from 2016, which I guess we'll have to bleep the name of on the radio, but uh, Don't Stop, where you say, Young King doing meat with my up teeth. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> straight up. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I'm, like, pumping my fist in the car.
0: Yeah, bro. It's like... I embrace what would naturally make you insecure because it's it's like it's me like hate it or love it like it's it's people that's gonna you know not like it but we're not focused on them like the people that love it we gonna we gonna embrace them back we are gonna show love to them and it's gonna spread like that you know what I mean so like just all my imperfections and flaws like it's not nothing that I hide from you know what I mean because. You'll be hiding from yourself, and then life just sucks like that. Like, And that's not something that I picked up from myself. It's something that I picked up from watching other people. Like, they just limit they self from, from the world and so many different things just based on, oh, um, yeah, my tooth is chipped. I don't want to. I can't do this, and I can't sit in front of this because of this, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. And i you know, I just vow to just never be a person like that, especially being the fact that I spent so many years of my life holding back, holding myself back from trying to belong to something that was so small. I had the ceiling like I was already standing on the ceiling of the lifestyle that I was in. I'm already standing on top of it and I'm reaching back down. So, you know, flaws and all, man, I'm gassing.
1: Let's hear a song from my guest G Perico and his 2016 record uh S Don't Stop and this is the title track
2: Hey see a homeboy, you really think on and I be cutting up in the street get this cash and keep it way Young King doing me with my teeth. late night shootouts my red grand
1: so gee i want to ask you about the sounds of your records yeah. right so we're here in los angeles you know a few years ago there were there were some big national hits with a sort of particular aesthetic that dj mustard brought yeah. to the table And there, you know, there's a a sort of G-Funk sound that is carried through L.A. since it was new in 1991 or whatever, Um, you know, 25, 30 years, just as there's, you know, rappers in New York who are, you know, basically rapping over Pete Rock beats in, in 2020. And you've gone a few different directions with your sound. You know, one of the things that struck me about L.A. Summers is I'm like... This dude is rapping about gangster stuff. Over jazz. Yeah, I'm like, that sounds like a Brian Jackson loop. And then I'm like listening to it and you finish rapping the beat flips and there's Gil Scott Heron. And I'm like, oh, it actually was Brian Jackson. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me about like what you're trying to do with your sound. Because it's not just the straight old school L.A. thing. It's not the new... L.A. hitmaker thing. Yeah, I'm
0: happy, bro. I appreciate you so much for that. Because this is why I stopped doing interviews, too, because the average person is just, like, not even check out anything and just look at the look. So they'll look at the curl and then, the, the you know, the style of dress and then classic West Coast, DJ Quick, Easy eg G-Funk, you know, without even diving in. But, um... Yeah, my whole thing is um, like I love timeless music and I just love music in general. So like Gil Scott-Heron, man, I love him. Uh, Roy Ayers, love him. Frankie Beverly, Sade, uh, Michelle and I and don't know. And yeah, past yeah. guest on this show. Yeah. She's a cool lady. Um, Karen Willer, Soul to Soul. Prince, like, this is this is music that I listen to on a daily. I just turn my YouTube on and click one song and it will play all of these because it's programmed that way. And then, on the other hand, I listen to the, the Cash Money's Lil Wayne, Juvenile, Game, YG, just all of this. So I got a few different things that I excel at as far as creating music. You know what I mean? And this year, I wanted to just make that clear. Like, I can excel in a few different areas. You know what I mean? I could do the turn up, but it's a little bit different from the typical, what's going on. And then I could do the smooth, which is a little bit different from the typical, and that is what creates the progressive street music that I'm going for. But my whole thing from the intro has always been... Um, you know, if people and I'm a zag, you know what I mean? And it's, I think there's room for everything in the game. And I also feel like, like not enough people um, distinguish themselves. Like, you know, I could, I could easily make a, uh, like a typical song and hit and be all over the radio, but that's not my goal. My goal with the whole music and the whole reason that I'm doing this, initially it was to, or I don't have anything else I'm trying to get out the streets. You know what I mean? And then now it's like, it's more of a purpose. And my I feel like my purpose for music, and then the reason why I choose certain things and just go so aggressively with it is because I'm for sure confident that if not now, like later I will influence a whole entire generation and it'll be people like in like a college course breaking down my lyrics. That's why I make sure that it's visual. I make sure that it's a about a story and and that we're going somewhere. And um even with the and not to get off subject, but like when I came out, you know, my favorite color is red. You know what I mean? I love wearing red. And I used to have an issue with that growing up where I'm from, because it's Crips.
1: And the color for Crips is blue.
0: Yeah. So that had a lot to do with me acting out and trying to assume my own identity in that world. You have like, a tattoo on your forearm I was just looking at that's a red that's exactly. red in color and says blue. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So when I start coming out, you know, I wear red. I like to wear all the latest fashion. But at the time, it was a lot of blood, rappers out, and then everybody was fashionable. So... You know, what did I do? They zig and I zag. I went back to wearing all blue and then just dressing like a hood rat to establish myself and uh, distinguish
1: myself in this game. I think one of the most distinctive things about your rapping is that you are about as good as anyone in the world at Talking Masks. You know, like, one of my favorite rappers of all time is uh, Sugar Free, who's a rapper from Pomona. Sugar Free is my ultimate. And, like, Sugar Free, like, I will say, Sugar Free raps a lot about pimping, which I find to be morally reprehensible uh, as a thing in the real world. Yeah, Um, But it's tough to top the different things he thinks of to say. And I'll say that, like, when I'm at home chopping vegetables for a soup or whatever inside my head is going, you know, you, you have a verse on that uh, record we were just talking about with the swear word in the name that goes like, uh, I'm a hustler, player, gangster, baller. Why do your mama want me to call her? Right, facts. <laughs> I think about that while I'm like making <laughs> soup. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's amazing, man. <laughs> that
0: is amazing.
1: I just imagine that in your notebook, there's just, like, one page that just has at the top of it, great that I thought of to say. So <laughs> like write that down. <laughs> yeah.
0: I actually, you know what's crazy, too? So outside of writing, I got a separate phone now. And my, my girl, she hate it. Like, she think it's, like, something different going on. But it's where I keep a lot of the ideas. So when I'm in, when I don't have time to sit there and write, I just record. And I say it. Or whatever it is, whatever the conversation, I say it in my phone and I and, and I keep it like that. So, yes, yeah, you know, just all day just collecting lines, collecting. I just call it collecting data. You know what I mean? All day.
1: I want to play one more of my guest G Perico's singles from this year. And there's been a bunch of them because he's got... I think, f- four records out this year. Six. Six? Seven. Okay, thank you. Something like that. Seven. This song is called Talk About It.
2: From the pen to the streets, straight to the hood, same day I got released. Dug up my money, 140 Gs on the side of the house on 111 East. I'm in a- where I come from. So you call me scrilla, where I come from. It's a whole gang of killing where I come from. Ain't no telling who's snitching where I come from. No parole, I'm free. Every
1: so this is what I was thinking as I as I listened to this record while I was driving into the office today. I'm like G Perico, and I don't who who made the beat on this record because I wasn't looking at the liner um, notes. Casey Khalil. Casey Khalil, yeah. Okay, so G. Perico and Casey Khalil are in the studio or whatever. And it's like, we're gonna make a G Perico record right now. Line up, boom, boom, chuk, chuk. -hmm. And then let's throw the loop from running by the far side on top of that. It's like (laughs) the heaviest drum track in the world. Yeah, and then one of the great all time. I don't know what you would call it. It was a hit record, so it's hard to call it an underground record. That's
0: amazing.
1: That's a timeless classic.
0: Never ages, never gets, sounds new every time you listen to it. That's like, I think that's more than a hit, that record. That is like an awesome, that's in my playlist that play like daily. When I listen, when I do my jam sessions, that's an amazing song. Far Side, Running. Running and Passing Me By, those are two amazing. Like it's beyond, because I think, uh... With music, you got hit records, right? Songs that deemed hits. And then two years later, three years later, it's like you don't want to hear it. It don't feel new anymore. It was then. And then you got records like that. That's just like you could just play it anytime. Ten years from now, that song is still going to be amazing.
1: Let me ask you this. We talked a little bit about that feeling of always looking over your shoulder.
0: Yeah.
1: How do you sleep? I mean, like, how is your sleep? Like, honestly, like, I don't
0: really sleep like that. And I don't even think about it. I get lost more in the work and the art. You know what I mean? But it's like, sometimes it's hard to just sit there and just, like, I got to really make myself exhausted to go to sleep. You know what I mean? otherwise i'd just be tossing and turning and won't sleep well and just be thinking about a lot of stuff so you know I, um i try to keep a lot of try to just do a, as much work as i can you know what i mean to replace that like me like oh my god i can't sleep so i won't be stressing about
1: that and I'm worried about that you know what i mean i remember my dad was in war and was uh, had serious post-traumatic stress disorder. When he was in his 50s, he went to Laos where the aircraft carrier he was on had bombed and worked with people who had been displaced within Laos by the bombing and still weren't able to return home because of the bombs that were still there. And the thing that I remember him telling me was not like I'm cured, you know what I mean? he had been working on his PTSD at that point for 35 years and this, there was no cure per se, but I remember him telling me, you know what? I slept through the night. Like that was victory to him was I yeah. slept through the night. Yeah. Yeah. That's it.
0: It definitely gets heavy. Especially when you, man, I was just thinking about it the other night and you know, it's crazy. Like, when everything was going on and I was living a life, bro, I never cried one time, like about nothing. Like, and then like recently, like I just catch myself just, you know what I mean? Just crying. It's crazy. Like, you know what I mean? But I I don't, I don't know if that's a sign of healing or since that's like a popular word these days, like mental health and healing is like super popular word. So I don't know what's that a sign of, but, um, I just accept it, man. You know, just been thinking about life and just everything that's going on. And um, I guess it's like just, you know, just finally, um, I don't know, my mind finally um, just getting past the like too hard, tough. We just bury it deep up in there and finally just letting it out. And um, I think it's going to start showing in my music, too, because now I'm. I'm fine with cause I got so much to talk about, bro, and so many different stories and so much relatable stuff, like that the world could relate to, you know, as it just looking at everything from an overall perspective. And um, like I- I'm starting to feel comfortable with talking about this on music. You know what I mean? Just being vulnerable. So that's a good thing, you know.
1: Well, G. Perico, I'm so grateful to you for taking this time to talk to me and for being so frank. It was really great to get to meet you, and I, I love your records. Man, thank you, man. I appreciate that.
0: Now I ain't going to quit. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just playing.
1: <laughs> My conversation with G. Perico from 2021. His latest record is called Hotshot Gangsta Grills. It's available to stream or purchase online now. It's one of a bunch of records he has put out in the past few years, and they're Honestly, pretty impressively, consistently good. Let's end with a track from Hotshot Gangsta Grills. It's called Action.
2: Lights, camera, action! Try the beans from the hood to the man. Lights, camera, action! Diamonds in the enterprise, beast dance. Lights, camera, action! Since 2019, been a stab. Lights, camera, uh-huh. action! Yeah, Hotshot. Lights, uh, camera, uh, action! Yeah. Uh, take a pick. Get a good angle. It might make you rich.
1: That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. At my producer, Kevin Ferguson's house, which I can see through an electroconferencing window, a baby is waving to me, being made to wave to me by Kevin She's not able to wave on purpose yet. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers, Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Tabitha Myers and Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Merritt Davis. Our interstitial music is composed and provided to us by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is by The Go Team. It is called Huddle Formation. Thanks to The Go Team. Thanks to their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is on social media. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, We share our interviews in those places. We hope that you will share them on from there. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.
0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.